0: Hi, everyone, and welcome. I am talking to my cousin, Sherry Robbins, who has been living in Israel since 1984. And she joins me now with her personal perspective of what it's like. Sherry, it is so great to see you, and I'm so happy you are safe. Uh,
1: thanks.
0: So- thanks, cousin. It's good to see you too in Cleveland. <laughs> so tell me about what life has been like in the last week and a half. Well, uh, I live
1: in Jerusalem. This is where I've been living since 1984. And uh, Saturday, October 7th, a day that's going to live in Jewish history, in Israeli history, um, uh, woke up to the sound of sirens. And in our building of seven apartments, we have a bomb shelter in the entrance to the building. So we, you know, quickly just like grabbed robes and went down into the bomb shelter had no idea total surprise really a total surprise um and then traditionally you wait about like five ten minutes or whatever we went back upstairs and a little while later there was another one uh, being in jerusalem we've run into the bomb shelter now for i would say about maybe 12 different times um and the this is nothing compared though to the horrors of those in the south, but uh, the October seventh really is going to always be remembered as the day where more Jews was were killed in any single day since the time of the Holocaust,
0: and we were part of Tell me, about, for perspective, how far are you from that region? Uh, We actually could get in the car
1: and drive, let's say, to the border with Gaza in about like an hour and a half or so. I mean, it's really it's this is a very small country. We are the size of New Jersey, which which means then that everybody knows somebody. And it's really a matter of a question of degree, like how many degrees you are separate. You know, everybody knows somebody somehow who has uh, been Murdered, slaughtered in either the peace festival, the music festival that was going on in the South, or soldiers or hostages. We all somehow are connected to one
0: another. So when you heard the news as to what was actually happening, what went through your mind? What was the reaction from your family and in your immediate community? Uh. One of, I would say, real shock, because this came
1: 50 years and one day after the Yom Kippur War in 1973, when we were also caught off guard, when Egypt moved in and Syria moved in, you know, Egypt coming from the south and Syria from the north uh, at two o'clock in the afternoon on the holiest day in the Jewish calendar, where we didn't have back then the communications and the technology that we have today where a lot of our information is happening through WhatsApp immediately. You know, you get the WhatsApps, where are you? Are you safe? Did you get to a shelter? Uh, that's where the names are all being posted. Of, uh, You know, does anybody, uh, the messages on Facebook also of pictures of people. This person has not been seen since the music festival Saturday morning, October 7th. Is any If anybody has their whereabouts, please contact. And that kind of stuff didn't exist back in 1973 during that war. So this was 50 years and one day later. And that actually is um, opening up a wound from 50 years ago as as well. Um, When those sirens go off, though, you know, where we are in Jerusalem, we have a minute and a half to get to safety. Those people that right are on the like just outside those communities, just outside of the Gaza Strip, they sometimes have as little as ten to thirty seconds. But here you had on a Saturday, sleepy morning, when it was also not just the Sabbath, but also a a Jewish holiday, that's called the joy of the Torah, Simchat Torah, Um, and all these very quiet communities, the 22 communities lying in sovereign state of Israel, suddenly Hamas terrorists cross over in what was a fence that was supposed to protect. And there's a lot of criticism right now of what happened, all of that unpacking is going to, and the finger pointing will happen happen later, of course, but crossing over and then just slaughtering You know, families going into homes. There was uh, one, you know, the images are really hard. There was one family, a family of five, that was found hugging each other in bed, and they just were slaughtered. And then the picture, then, that now, as of yesterday, because they were buried, are the five coffins lined up or another story of, you know, a 13-year-old boy in one of those communities who went out for a run, 13 years old, went out for a morning run, and that's why he is alive. His sisters, his parents, his grandparents, all slaughtered. The funeral was yesterday. It, it was, as more and more of the information comes out, it's just more and more horrific. All of those images of, have you seen this person? Now it's a, DNN testing has proven that the charred, burned body of person who was at this music festival was finally identified. Or those people taken as hostage, or we thought were hostage, being taken into hostage into uh, the Gaza Strip were not maybe taken because their body was found. So we're we're still uncovering. Bodies have still not been identified. And so every day it's still the information is coming out and it is absolutely heart wrenching. It's um it's enraging it's frightening. You know the the emotions is we're just on these emotional roller coasters. Um
0: that every day, all the time. I, one of the things though, that's a little different for you because you've been through numerous events similar to this where Israel was always under fire, always surrounded by uh, countries that don't want it For the simplest way of, of explaining it. But what was different about this one? Um,
1: One thing maybe would be our underestimation of Hamas. There was a a belief among some that you know you give money, Qatari money, suitcases of money that was brought in from Qatar at the approval of the, of the government, you know, that will appease them. No, or let's go after rockets. Let's say 2014 that operation, a reaction to go in, do a band-aid fix and come back out. Operations, not wars. This is a this is a war. This is a war and you know Hamas is really the embodiment of just complete and total evil. It's what our our parents, grandparents, you know, you you know my dad, your uncle Ed, fought in World War II. And it's this generation's battle with ultimate evil. Because um, Hamas will not just stop with um with Israel, with Jews. It's the rise in anti-Semitism in the United States right now throughout the world. It is the their ultimate goal, really, with the backing of Iran, is an islamically ruled world and many innocents are caught up in that um you know president biden was uh was just here um yesterday and that that meant like so so much to us israelis so much uh first of all the american support but to have him come and to meet with families of the hostages and it, he sort of made the analogy, as some Americans are saying, that this is Israel's 9-11. Well, if you want to actually translate numbers, that would be the equivalent of 44,000 Americans being slaughtered. 44,000. But there's a difference, and this is where um, I actually don't hold by this is Israel's 9-11, because... After those horrific events where I remember at the time I was visiting with my one-year-old, who's now 23, in Cleveland, in my parents' home in Cleveland, Ohio, and you, Monica, you called and said, don't leave your house. Don't leave your house because one of the towers went down and we turned on the television. We all know the horrors of 9-11. And my mother, may she rest in peace, turned to me at that moment and said, Sherry, you always said that terrorism one day was going to come to the United States. It was just a matter of time and and it's here. But this is not our 9/11. And the reason for that is no one ever questioned the United States going after the perpetrators. And we are being challenged and questions questioned and you know, stop the war this is ultimate evil you know this is no longer needing a bandaid i i i don't have any solutions here i i represent myself you know i'm not a uh, i'm not a a military analyst i'm not a politician you know even though i was participating in the protests against our government for 40 consecutive weeks but that's something else um it we should not be questioned we we have to defend our citizens and the first few days as you asked like how is it different the first few days you know that's a yeah every there was a lot of support pouring out the 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 media it doesn't take much to tip that balance and if or when there is a ground invasion into Gaza, there will be more innocent people being killed. And, th- and that is a tragedy. That is an absolute tragedy. And that is why we have been saying to the Palestinians in northern Gaza, go to southern Gaza, who's stopping them from doing that? Hamas, because more innocent Palestinians killed is what is used against us, and the misinformation such as the rocket hitting the hospital, immediately Israel was blamed for it when all of the video footage is showing that it was an Islamic Jihad rocket set off that landed short. But there's a narrative here that after those first few days of the horror of all those dead Jews, and not all of them were Jewish, by the way. There were foreign nationals that were killed. There were uh, those that were taking care of the elderly that come, let's say, from the Philippines or other places in Asia as for jobs here. It wasn't just Jews, but Hamas didn't target people and say, excuse me, let me, You know, are, are you Jewish? Are you Israeli? It was just mass slaughter. What I would like to see, though, Monica, is I would like to see... Americans, Israelis, Jews, the entire world protesting together to say free Gaza from Hamas, free the Palestinians of Hamas because they are not representing all Palestinians and those innocent Palestinian lives that 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 hurts me too. They should they you know, that war is a horrible thing. But I don't think our hands can be tied any longer. Not after October 7th.
0: Give us the history lesson, because I think a lot of people are confused that this is a conflict between Israel and Gaza. It is not. Can you explain Why? Uh, We, in
1: 2005, uh, unilaterally left Gaza. There were some Jewish settlements there. Um, Greenhouses were built. Communities were built. And it was decided under Prime Minister Ariel Sharon, who was a very hawkish prime minister, that enough is enough. And this wasn't about land for peace, like the peace agreement, let's say, with first with Anwar Sadat in Egypt. You give us land, we give you peace. And this is not a sit around the campfire and sing Kumbaya kind of peace, but it's better. You know, a a cold peace is better than a hot war, right? And then also with Jordan. Peace is signed, a little bit of land swaps agreement is signed. This was in 2005, a unilateral disengagement from Gaza, giving those communities that space to the leadership at that time, the Palestinian Authority. And those communities, instead of saying, here's an opportunity, you we're leaving you the greenhouses. It was all destroyed. And then two years later, under so-called democratic elections, Hamas comes on the on the scene and from rooftops, they're beginning to throw off from the rooftops. Palestinian Fatah members, meaning that it's part of the leadership of the Palestinian Authority. We're not doing a whole history lesson here. But when you hear Palestinian Authority Mahmoud Abbas say that he stands behind the Gazans and he stands behind the the Palestinians and it's terrible what Israel is doing, if he himself would be in Gaza, he'd be thrown off a rooftop as well. There's, There's no great love between the Palestinian Authority and Hamas. So we have actually not been in Gaza since 2005. Um, I don't know how far back you want your
0: history lesson to go, you know. <laughs> no, I, I think that's, I, I think the difference too is Hamas is a terrorist organization. Yeah. This may not have been Israel's 9-11, as you so eloquently put, um, but this was a terrorist attack. Yeah. And one of the things I find very interesting is um, the U.N. and other countries seem to be limiting or asking Israel to limit their response. How how do Israelis take that? You
1: know, you kind of have to ask another question, kind of being very Jewish here. You ask a question, I ask you a question back, you know, <laughs> who's pulling the strings here in with Hamas in Gaza and Hezbollah in Lebanon which is on the northern border with Israel it's Iran that's where the money is coming from that's where the the support is coming from so when the when world leaders say to to Israel hold off you know, we've done that before we've done that in other operations I don't know what the alternative is necessarily, but I know that after the death count and after and in fact that we still have hostages, more than two hundred hostages, civilians in Gaza, um, we can't be told to hold off. It's it's um, double standards, and and Israel very often has been held to double standards. What is all right for other countries to do in self-defense. Or even really, as I said about 9-11, the United States going over and looking for bin Laden. you know, the, 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 There's a double standard. And we can't stand quietly any longer. I mean, I, I don't know, you know, a ground invasion. These hostages are probably being kept deep um, underground. You know, what, what will be their their fate? I, I don't know. But, you know, of the more than 200, there are um, Americans among them. To give you two examples, uh, when I first moved here in 1984, I moved to a kibbutz. And uh, the kibbutz was first established by a, a woman, many people, but one of them is a woman named Vivian Silver. And then Vivian Silver, over in the 90s, moved over to kibbutz Be'eri, Kibbutz Beiri, where you know, they just buried about a quarter of their kibbutz. Vivian is is somewhere in the Gaza Strip. And Vivian, her whole life, she has been a peace activist. She has friends in Gaza. She has worked for moving women's empowerment with Palestinians her whole life. And she is a victim as well. You also have Hirsch Goldberg Poland, who uh, the family lives here in Jerusalem. And he is a hostage as well. His parents actually just were put on the front cover of Time magazine, talking about the the agony of what it is to not know, the uncertainty, uh, not knowing of what's happening. And right now, there's a lot of talk. The Israelis have to allow humanitarian aid in that water and and electricity has been cut off. Israel needs to give. We need to have the Red Cross see these hostages. We can't just be giving. We need to also be receiving. These hostages have not seen the Red Cross. And when we talk about double standards, the Red Cross is full of them. So the fate of those 200 are part of our prayers as well, as well as, um, you know, the those that are mourning. And yet with all of that grief, Monica, I have to say, I don't think I've ever seen Israel so incredibly, beautifully united. Whereas the demonstrations and the criticism of the government, well, all of that is put aside. All of that is put aside. And the outpouring the incredible outpouring of volunteering. This morning, I went to to buy tomatoes that were brought in from just outside of the Gaza Strip. People loaded up this huge truck with tomatoes that those tomatoes would just be destroyed if they're not harvested. And the long lines to be able to have the opportunity to buy these tomatoes to support those agricultural farms the housing that is being offered, the just mobilization of so many different organizations the, that are collecting money, that are offering emotional support, buying equipment and, and food. And I've been, you know, in this, my own small little part about, you know, putting, giving donations and taking items to a place where they can be distributed to those Jewish refugees because once again there's this double standard we hear about the Palestinian refugees that are you know from the northern part of Gaza to the southern part of Gaza but there are Jewish refugees in this country from those 22 communities that they, you know their homes were destroyed and on the northern border where things are heating up or you know simmering i don't know which <laughs> With Hezbollah on the northern border, the Jewish communities along that northern border, those people have evacuated. They're refugees as well. Many of them, you know, they're being organized and housed here in Jerusalem, a lot of them down near the the Dead Sea, but the total outpouring, Monica, of just how much we are in this together. Because uh, President Biden always tells this amazing story about when Golda Meir whispered in his ear that, you know, our secret weapon is we have no other place to go. Th- that's it. We have no
0: other place. You have a, a, a very different connection as well. Your daughters, Odelia um, is 19 and Eliana is 23. And Odelia is in the service. Yeah, I she's can't. Doing
1: this, yeah,
0: I can't imagine what that's like right now, knowing that there is a a ground invasion imminent. Where, the, where the in,
1: unit that she the unit that she is actually in, I, I can't give locations Monica, but the 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 unit that she is actually in is actually a, an education unit. I mean the the IDF, the Israeli Defense Forces, puts a, a very high value on education. So her job is actually like her mom, she's a tour guide and she would give you know, tours to um, soldiers, their units, when the commanding officer says, you know, we're gonna do something nice for you guys. We're gonna go on a three-day tour of someplace in Israel. And her unit is the ones that will be the, uh, the tour guides, but she belongs to a, a group of, of people where most of the women are in the education unit. The men are all in a combat unit including her boyfriend of of two years. And uh, this makes this particular war or part of the conflict uh, very, very different for me. Um, I have on my refrigerator, No, I don't want to show their pictures. I can't show, them. but their group of these amazing guys—some of them that I've known since they were in seventh grade—and you know the names of each one of them and their their parents' names and where they live. And you look at this photo, and uh, you just pray. You know? Yeah, it's, it's very different. Very different this time.
0: You said earlier uh, before I started recording that, um, you know, your daughters were out of the country when this happened.
1: Yeah, Yeah, they were. They were. um, My older daughter is post-army. Very common in Israeli culture that after you finish the army, you go on some like big trip, you know, kind of clean your head is the Hebrew expression. So she was in India. And then the war starts. And she, and along with so many other Israelis where she was in India, were scrambling to get home. Um, My soldier daughter actually had a week off from the army. So she actually was in Greece on a vacation and uh, immediately came back. So it kind of raises this interesting kind of question of the, you know, how... How is it that uh, you as a mother, you want your child to come back to a war zone? <laughs> but the thing is, is they want to. I never asked either one of them to come back. They want to come back. And the Israeli, the flights were filled with Israeli coming home. You know, there's, um, um when the army calls people up for reserves in times like this, um they expect to maybe get like about 80% to answer the the call. Yeah. 150% are showing up. They're, they're returning from all over the, the world or within the country itself because putting on uniforms and because there, there is no other place. There just is, this is home. And we'll fight mm-hmm. for it.
0: I know a lot of people have been asking you, why are you still there? Why haven't you come home? You have places to be in Cleveland. Why haven't you come home? Because
1: this is home, Monica. I come back, I visit Cleveland. Actually when, (laughs) when the war broke out was my 45th, uh, high school reunion, Cleveland Heights high. Um, so I come, I come back, uh, my brother still lives in the Cleveland area. Um, my parents are, are buried in in Cleveland. Uh, I have dear, dear friends who live in Cleveland. But this is home, this is a, the choice I, I made. Um, and I can understand why people would ask that question. Um, people are asking a lot of questions these days and I just try very, very hard to not judge anyone's decisions. I I actually know of a family this morning while I was standing in line to get these tomatoes uh, somebody I I know said I know people that are leaving tomorrow to fly to Canada but with great angst she shared that. Uh there are, it, it's not an easy time to be in a family unit where you have small children. Yeah I think I think one of the uh <laughs> things is on Facebook Again, social media, but uh, something that really struck me to the core was when my kids were really little, you always talk about, well, there really are no monsters. You know, it's just a, a bad dream or whatever. And this Facebook post said, well, how do you tell your child? I'm sorry, sweetheart, but there actually are monsters. And again, to just make this very clear distinction, Hamas is not the Palestinian people. This is not about a, you know. Saying all Palestinians are bad, they are not. This is about, as you said yourself, this is about a terror organization you, that is not interested in any kind of peaceful resolution to this. So, yeah, this is home. I do, do like do they... I do like visiting. I love seeing you when I'm in Cleveland.
0: <laughs> what uh, What does Hamas want?
1: It's in their charter. It's very clear. Their charter is to wipe out the state of Israel, to kill the Jews. That they're, you know, when you see demonstrations, which are growing now in the states, you know, uh, free, free Palestine, the continuation of that from the sea to the river. And what that what what that means what that actually is actually saying and i'm not even sure honestly if all the people in those demonstrations even understand it themselves but what it actually means is the state of israel should not exist
0: should not exist that's the charter of hamas are there any other um, things that you find that people are confused about when it comes to this particular conflict, this attack, that you wish you could clarify and make people understand, you know, this is not what you think it is.
1: I think it's the um, simplicity of how people approach this. You know, my, my profession is, I'm a tour guide a very unemployed tour guide right now, with all the cancellations that poured in. But one of the things that I often will ask tourists at some point during a tour is, so you hear about the conflict. When do you think this conflict actually began? And the most common answer that I receive is 1967, the Six-Day War, June of 1967. And then that is when Egypt and Jordan and Syria all were, you know, attacking. And the the result of it was taking the Sinai Peninsula, taking the Golan Heights, taking East Jerusalem, which allowed then Jews to go to the holy sites for, for Judaism, meaning the Western Wall, located in the Old City, and the West Bank, which is simply the West Bank of the Jordan River. That's why it's called that. And, and then a long process of the building of settlements. So when I ask this question, which for many Jews is just, hey, open up the Bible. This is a real estate deed. And it says, this is you know where Jacob put that rock down for a pillow and he slept here. So we're going to build the settlement and, and maintain its name, called, and calling it Bethel. Bethel. But 1967 uh, is not the beginning. That is not the beginning of the conflict. And then it gets into a whole discussion that I have with people of, okay, so what are other possible dates? Was it 1948 with the establishment of the state of Israel? Was it earlier than that? Was it 1917 when the, the United Kingdom and the Balfour Declaration says that it looks upon with favor the establishment of a Jewish state in Palestine as the area was called at its time. You know, any Jew, ironically, born here prior to 1948 is a Palestinian. It's just that the term has, has morphed and changed over time. So I think what is important is to just understand that this is not a simple, quick solve. This is not black and white. This is not something that started in 1967. And part of what is so frightening to many people is, look, in 2005, we left the Gaza Strip completely and look what we got instead. If we did the same thing in the West Bank, then what would happen there that would go back to the narrowest border of Israel from 1948 to 67, being nine miles between the Mediterranean Sea? And the border of what is like the most Western side of the uh, West Bank. So, you know, think about it, Monica, you're you're at your studio right now. You get in your car and you drive for nine miles. Okay, drive nine miles. And then on the other side of that nine miles for 19 years, there were people that wanted to just destroy you. So there's a fear then of if this is what happened in Gaza, could this happen in the West Bank? Um, you know, my political views don't matter here at all, but it's the complexity. And whenever I'm working with tourists, I kind of always say, if you leave my tour more confused than you arrived, then actually,
0: I think I did a good job. Because it's not clear and it's, uh, it's, is it political? Uh, help me understand your question is what political? Is, was the attack political? Was it because of a land grab? Was it because oh, no. of. Oh, no,
1: no, no, no. This is nothing to do with it. No, no. This is not about a land grab. No. It, no. This was Hamas doing what it has threatened to do, and which we have, when we gave cement to rebuild homes, they were instead used for underground tunnels that would bring terrorists into Israel. We build a fence. That's what was broken down. But this, no, this this was not political at all. No, my feeling. This was simply Hamas doing what it said it always was going to do. And what has been found actually in the field is those Hamas terrorists that were, were, were killed looking at the documents that they have when there were there was descriptions like sort of instructions of go for the women go for the children take hostages slaughter families i mean th- this was their goal what, where's the politics in that th- this is this was just taking people who went to a music festival and then gathering them up Surrounding them with pickup trucks and just slaughtering them, reminiscent of things that happened during the Holocaust. Wait, there's no
0: politics in that. What do you expect to happen next? Oh,
1: well, <laughs> I don't know. I yeah uh, the. There will probably be a ground invasion that's terribly frightening to me on um, a very personal level but more than that um how long will you know to, how long of a war will that be how how you know are those tunnels booby-trapped and what about the hostages and you know how long will the world say keep going, you know, take care of Hamas because it's good for all of us. This is not just about Israel. This really isn't. And that's so important to understand. This is about Jews being able to feel safe anywhere in the world. And beyond that, this is about also eventually going for the Christians and those that just are not seen as worthy of This global sort of Islamic fanatic, I have to say, because Islam as a religion is not fanatic, it is, it has been warped and manipulated. And behind the, you know, behind the curtain, it's, it's Iran. And, and Iran is very, very frightening. It's nuclear capabilities or near nuclear capabilities. And also what's frightening is, you know, right now the focus Monica is all about, you know, Gaza. Hamas is a tiny little gang, okay? A terrorist organization, but it's a gang in contrast to Hezbollah over in Lebanon, in Southern Lebanon, bordering with Israel. That's an army, a well-supplied army with money coming from Iran. That's, I was talking today to um, somebody I worked for a tour company. We were talking again about, well, we got to cancel this and cancel this because of the group's not coming, yada, yada. And, you know, because since COVID people can work anywhere. So I always thought that he would work near the office, which is kind of near Tel Aviv. And he said, no, no, I actually work out of my home way up north. And he told me the name of the community. And I said, whoa. And he said, yeah. And I'm scared to death of the other foot dropping. So what's gonna happen next? I don't, I don't know. I really don't know. Monica, I mean what I would in an ideal world, in a like some fantasy kind of world, I would like Hamas to realize that this is it's not we're not going anywhere. So just forget it allow the Palestinians to rule themselves peacefully, that Iran, forget it, you know, we're not gonna stand by and allow nuclear empowerment. Um, I would also like to see our government be totally shifted as a result of this, but I don't know what's gonna happen. it, but the spirit here is very, very strong. The, the you know it's it's two things really. It's frightening. There's a lot of grief. You know the the, the funeral that I went to. Uh, you know was just absolutely heart wrenching to be at one of hundreds. But it's also so spiritually uplifting to see people helping each other, taking care of each other. Um, I, by nature, I'm an optimist. Uh, I I remain optimistic, but I'm also a realist. And uh, this is a, a, certainly out of all those times that I've been here where you and I have talked and recorded things before in the past, the different intifadas and scud missiles coming over from mm. Iraq and gas masks and all that kind of stuff. We, you and I've talked about that kind of stuff. But this is different. And it's never been like this before, not since I've been here. And uh, that is frightening. And you know, we've had a quiet time to chat, no sirens. Because I thought to myself, when we were starting the Zoom, I thought, well, let's see if the, the siren goes off, do I take the computer down to the bomb shelter with me so you could kind of like continue the conversation down there, you know, but it's been quiet for a couple of days here. And in some ways that quiet is very deceptive. Feels a little bit like the quiet before storm.
0: Are you, are you concerned when the Hamas leader called out for jihad in the day of rage and Last Friday and it didn't happen. Are you concerned that I'm actually taken concerned when when anybody sort of like says,
1: hey, let's go out and kill a bunch of people. That's scary. Okay. The fact that it 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 didn't happen um was obviously a relief, but it's it's more than that though, Monica. I think it's it's uh, maybe a little bit of questioning of how much support really is there for that? Because it's, um, yes, there's a lot of hatred out there and there are demonstrations happening all over the world right now, but I don't know how much of that calling for a day of rage was just, you know, ruffling feathers or if it was perhaps hopeful, Uh, Again, we were, and this goes back to the very beginning of our conversation, we were caught off guard. There should not have been 2,500 Hamas terrorists being able to cross a border just by bulldozing a fence and then coming in with motorcycles and pickup trucks and on foot. That should not have happened. But now we have you know, sort of learned a tragic lesson. There are already certain people in the military and the government who have said, I take the blame, we'll deal with that later. This is not the time for that. But I think lessons already learned is the day of rage last, last Friday, I don't know how far that would have gotten. Um, but yeah, it's not very comfortable to hear somebody call for a day of rage because it it frightens not only well its purpose what is a terror organization its purpose is to terrorize by coming out with an explanation like that you know a, a call to jihad the purpose of that is to terrorize and you can buy into that terror because it is frightening or or not buy into
0: it where do you find hope? Whoa <laughs> i i
1: I think I find hope in the essential goodness in people, and what we're faced with right now though is a terrorist organization that, in its essence, is evil, and my belief that that goodness will win out—that the goodness in people, life is life is life is a struggle, but that the goodness and the the essence of people being good and
0: kind to each other will win out. What can people in Cleveland do?
1: <laughs> there, are, there are a lot of organizations that are now asking for donations, and that's fantastic um, to help those Jewish refugees who have lost everything, to help the army that with the influx of all these Israelis coming to rejoin their units, maybe that don't have the equipment to help the medical profession, um, I know, like some of my friends, we got together and we made four hundred sushi rolls that we took to Hadassah Medical Hospital to just give out to the workers, so they could have some decent food to grab. With all the incredible holy work that they are doing, so there, whatever kind of speaks to a person individually, if it's about medical or if it's about you know supplies to find. Um, Rebuilding, uh, like Jewish National Fund is doing a big campaign as well. Um, The reform movement, the conservative movement here all have websites. My only word of caution, though, however, is that unfortunately in the world of the media, is that you have to be careful who you're donating. You just have to really check and make sure that you're donating to a reputable organization. Uh, that the money is going to where it needs. Um, I belong to a lot of WhatsApp groups, but one of them in particular is every morning they are publishing. What are the needs? So the other day, a bunch of us got together, we pulled a bunch of money and we went to a, a grocery store and we bought like the equivalent of, I guess it would be like a couple hundred dollars of baby formula that then were distributed. So um, All of that requires money as well. So that that is one positive thing, but I think more, not not more than that, in addition to that, speaking out, speaking out because as the voices of anti-Israel get stronger, and they will, I don't doubt that that even though right now maybe being Jewish in the United States is hard, maybe scary, to have your voice heard. Uh, There is also a campaign to write to senators and congressmen to have the hostages released. I mentioned only two of them, Vivian Silver and Hirsch Goldman Putin, that they're only two. But have the hostages released. What that means, how that would work? I don't know. That, that, I don't know. That's, I think, what is really important and not to f- not to be left alone, not to, to you know, many, many people are um, can feel isolated in in times like this, not just here in Israel, but elsewhere. Talk to each other, find comfort in each other. Find strength in each other. That I think is uh, is really important, how to get through these times.
0: How do I say I love you in Hebrew?
1: <laughs> okay, we'll go through this. All right.
0: Ani. Ani.
1: ohev okay. oh, it, oh, And then you're going to get the kind of going on here because Hebrew is a very guttural language. Otach. Otach. Monica, Ani ohevet otach. I love you. Amit. <laughs> oh, ohevet. Okay. <laughs> yeah, okay. We'll give you a good Hebrew lesson over you know, a year when I get to hear you sing again.
0: <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. Sherry, my cousin, I love you. Love you too. And uh, please give my love to Hannah and the girls. Will. And please stay safe. God
1: willing. Yes, and thank you so much, Monica, for this opportunity to to be able to do what I just asked others to do, is to speak out. I I really very deeply, deeply
0: appreciate the opportunity. You're very welcome, and you stay safe, and yeah. uh, we will stay in touch, Absolutely. and hopefully when we speak again, if it's sooner rather than later, this will be behind us. From your words to God's ears, yeah. Shalom.
1: Shalom. Bye.